welcome to another episode of Impact of AI podcast brought to you by AI Time Journal and supported by women leaders in data and artificial intelligence. My name is Melissa Drew. I've had 27 years of procurement and supply chain experience, and I've been focused in working with cognitive technologies since 2004 or roughly in the last 17 years. We have a wonderful host today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Maria Villar, she is the Head of Enterprise Data Strategy and Transformation with SAP North America. She's also a published author with a book labeled Managing Your Business Data from Chaos to Confidence. It's a business book for how business leaders should manage their business data with six guiding principles for an effective data management program. She's also a board member for the Society of the Chief Data Officers. And most recently, she has a masterclass on YouTube, so you guys should all check this out, Creating an Effective Data Strategy. Welcome. Well, thank you, Melissa. It's really great to be here, to be with another woman in, in AI and data, and to cover my favorite topic. So looking forward to the discussion. Let's get started. Um, you know, there's not a lot of women in this industry. And when I say industry, we're talking, you know, the broad industry of data analytics, artificial intelligence. And one of the things that we've been focusing on lately in our conversations is the impact of AI. And the impact of AI to supply chain and procurement organizations is not just about the aspect of the AI technologies, which is what a lot of people are talking about today, but it's really understanding the infrastructure underneath it. So for example, I've always said that if procurement supply chain is the backbone of the organization, data is the heart. Well, without data, there's no need for that AI technology. So I am absolutely lucky to have you on the call today. Couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, I spent the last 25 plus years uh, who's counting as an operational data executive. So, so I started in the data journey when data really wasn't a thing, right? It wasn't that popular. People didn't even know what is it that I was doing for a living, mm -hmm. uh, but it would started to gain traction. And, and I think it started about 25 years ago because the, a lot of companies were doing large, massive systems integrations like ERP or CRM, if you remember that. And they were starting to put together all of these different siloed applications. And once they started putting all these applications and, and, and simplifying their processes, they couldn't do it because the data in all these systems was in such, such bad shape. And so I got involved that way in a, in a CRM project. And then, then the, the CDO role, you know, the chief data officer role has really evolved over the years where it was very defensive. It's all about rules and governance and, and guardrails and, and helping financial institutions with their SOX compliance. But now I think over the last five years, and certainly COVID has done a lot for that, it's really brought the importance of data and data foundation to the forefront. And like you said, we can't do AI without having a solid data foundation from which to build AI engines and AI algorithms. Mm -hmm. And I would say also that the digitization of processes, which have been also accelerated because of COVID, as we start to accelerate, as we start to digitize um, our supply chain, or our, you know, or even go faster on e-commerce, but all of those, all of those digitization processes depend on good, stable data. So, so data is now in the forefront. Uh, I would say, in the beginning of my career, I spent a lot of time helping to explain why managing data was important, and, and I don't have those conversations anymore. 
I think most companies realize they need to manage their data more effectively than they're doing. They just don't know how to do it. And they think it's a magic pill. They hire a head of data, chief data officer, give them a few people and a couple of dollars. And, and it just it just happens. And it's really not. It's really a commitment to a program of, of, of changing behaviors and processes and, and getting the organization to, to really um, think of data in a totally different way than just useless zeros and ones. I thought about something while you were while you were um, explaining your journey. My mom asks me all the time, so what is it you do again? <laughs> and I think I'm explaining to her in a very simplistic way. But one day she came to me and says, you know, I know you've been in your career for 27 years, but I still don't understand what you do or how to explain it when someone asks me. So I'm going to ask you the same question. So if I come to you, Maria, what exactly do you do on a day-to-day basis? It is hard to explain, but I would say it's become easier to explain managing this important asset like you manage your employees or Mm -hmm. like you manage your plants or like you manage your capital. All of these important enterprise assets all require you to have the right people, to have the right processes, to have the right technology. And when you don't and you run into trouble, um, then you, you need a leader that's going to, to, to drive that change. Um, that became easier to explain with COVID, actually. I wrote an article for Hispanic Business that was called What COVID Dashboards Have Taught Us About Managing Data. If you, if you remember all of these in the beginning, like all of these dashboards from all of these states, and then you had the John Hopkins dashboard, and they were all telling you, you know, what was the state of the pandemic and what states were better than others and what was the average and what was the this. There was so much information that was being thrown around about COVID. And that really, to me, I was I was sitting there looking at those dashboards and going, oh, my gosh, these are, you know, w- these are so inaccurate. The, a- the averages, you know, they're not speaking all the same terminology. Is the denominator the same? Did they do a lot of cleanup of the data? And all of those issues around COVID dashboards became much more real. And I published an article and actually sent it around to all my family who were not the data literate people, because finally I had a situation where I could say, here's something you're making decisions about your life on, where you go, how often you go, and all your, you know, the people that you're socializing with or wherever you are, and you're using this to make risk decisions for yourself. But here's all the things that you should know or ask about this dashboard. And when I made it real for them, then they started to really understand the job more. So I sent it to many in my family and I got such great response because I made it real in something that was so important that was all about you know managing their own lives and their own risk. So I, I think COVID has really made the data profession um, a lot more the vernacular of normal people. Now you turn it around and certainly for businesses, it's had the same reaction. Right? Companies that were in a good solid uh, situation with their data infrastructure, they were able to respond with more speed um, and those companies that didn't realize, oh my gosh, I better get my collective act together. And, and they, it was a lot harder journey for them. So I, I think it's been an accelerator uh, for the data profession, frankly. But uh, before COVID, I had the same struggle. I'd, I'd really trip over 
trying to explain my job yeah. <laughs> without sounding really boring or like the police of data, right? Which is not really what we want our jobs to be known for. I had asked some some folks to give me some questions before this this uh, meeting with you, and you brought up something uh, just now that that kind of ties into one of those questions. When you're in your role and you're pulling that data together, there's a difference between I've consolidated the data, I've got it into a central location, and it's available, versus understanding the context and the meaning of the data so that you can make you know a better informed decision. The clarification here is. Where, where does your role as a chief data officer kind of end and, and where does the next kind of individual within the company really need to pick that up? Oh, wow. That, that's a fantastic question. And, and a lot depends on the remit of that chief data officer role, because there are some chief data officers who also have an analytic mission. Okay. So it, it, when you, when you have those two missions, then right, then you go all the way to the usage of that data. Usually it, it, you, you start off as a chief data officer and you say, you know, is the data fit for purpose? Like my role would be make sure that that data is fit for purpose, right? Is the data accurate? Is the data in the, easy to digest? Uh, do, can people understand what, what the data means? But the use of data in a, in a use case like AI or a dashboard or BI, that is then left to another group of stakeholders, the business stakeholders or the data scientists or the research team. When you have analytics also in your mission, you have data scientists. So it really does depend on, on how that organization has defined the role. And that's one thing that's true about chief data officers today is that the role is still fluid. Um, there's not a one size fits all. It's not like a, fine, a CFO or a controller or other roles that are more defined because they have a lot more history. Even though the profession has been around probably for 25 years, it keeps changing and evolving. And that goes back to part of my journey, right? I was an operational executive for many years, but also now I've kind of turned myself over to be more customer facing. And I work with customers now as opposed to having that operational role. And the role of that chief data officer has, gone, has, has changed from being very defensive, regulatory, compliance, uh, data governance, and all that, to being more value creation. And those that really have more longevity as a chief data officer are those that really can create value for the organization. They tie their data strategy to the business outcomes that matter. Uh, and and then deliver on that as opposed to just doing kind of data work for data sake, right? right. Really, you know, data warehouse that nobody is going to use. So, uh, and that was really the premise of the of the master classes. How do you go about thinking like that and creating a data strategy that's based on business outcomes? Whether that outcome, if yeah, I just take the procurement example, right? It, the procurement outcomes could be I want more transparency um, of, of my procurement spend. Or I want to minimize the number of, 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 of suppliers that I have to concentrate on a few that are greater, greater uh, have more leverage, right? Or more of my, my dollar spend. I mean, all of that requires analysis in, in, from data in order to make those decisions. And so working on the data components of that and delivering value is, is where the next generation of CDOs are going. 
in as you're talking through your journey, I think one of the things that resonated with me is is I've been in my career also for 27 years, and I have I have I have lived you know working in data manually. I have been the expert system that was used to build, you know, the cognitive technology for for data in 2004. And I have watched procurement supply chain organizations just constantly change every time, you know, something comes out. Every time that changes, how I communicate with, you know, the internal stakeholder with those organizations, how I rethink about, you know, the value, you know, it, it changes. So I think what would be interesting to to learn from you is you've also had this career where you've watched it, you know, go through these stages of evolution. And as you mentioned, it's still fluid, but I'm sure you've got some key, you know, lessons learned that you could share with us today about what are some things that you can do in the way you communicate now that could really help somebody who's listening to not have to go through the whole cycle, you know, all over again. Yeah, and and that's something. Yeah, I, I really do want to share because I, in the beginning of my career, I was a real data speak geek. Right, it was all about using all those words that we data people use. Right, whether that was metadata or even data quality. I mean, it was just boring data speak. And and frankly, we never won the hearts and minds of the business stakeholders with that kind of terminology. And what I've learned over the years and and this is what I do now for a living, is learn how to speak to business executives, C-level executives about this topic without them rolling their eyes on the back of their head or, you know, or going to sleep, right? It's, this is an important topic and words matter. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've, I've shared in, in previous discussions uh, is there's, th- uh, there's really three words before, if you're really literal about it, that 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 I've replaced in my own vocabulary, and they've made a world of difference in how impactful and influential um, I I can be in a conversation around data. So the first is data governance. Um, and by the way, this is going to sound a little bit uh, odd coming from a, a data professional because these are words that we throw around all the time. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that the word data governance is one of those words that really turn off the conversation with the business. Um, They look at data governance, unless you're regulatory, unless you're in financial services or maybe even health, they look at that word and you as the brand of that word and say, oh, this is about control. This is about slowing me down. This is about getting in my way of achieving my business outcomes. And, and And that's the response that you get. I learned to come to replace that word with data management. So my initial conversations with the business is, how do we work together so that we manage data to the right business outcomes? See, I use the word manage, not govern. Mm-hmm. And manage opens up the conversation because now it's more of a leadership word. It's, it's much more open-ended. It doesn't restrict uh, where we need to go and it's more inclusive. And, and that changed the whole conversation with the business and it got them more involved. So that's one word that I've learned to replace. Now there, you know, governance still exists to me. Governance are all the rules and standards and all that, but I've replaced it first, certainly talking about managing data. The other, the, the other, the other way to think about it too, is when we all want to say data is the new asset, data is the new oil. I mean, all those cliches, but 
we we ourselves, when we use words like just governance, really make it much more siloed. Um, we don't call other enterprise assets and we don't say we want to govern other enterprises. We don't say, I want to govern my people. Mm-hmm. Don't say you want to manage them. I don't want to govern my capital or my project. No, you manage them. So just putting that word um, helps you also with the message that it's another enterprise asset. The second word I've used to replace is ownership. Um, Oftentimes, we all want to have owners for data, right? Mm -hmm. Is the business the owner? Is IT the owner? Is who the owner? You, the chief data officer. And I've replaced that word with accountability model. Because in the world of data, no one owns the entire life cycle. So business, you have a role, but IT, you don't get an out. You have a role. Employees have a role and executives have a role. And so the role of the chief data officer, one of my my roles would be, what is that accountability model? Who does what, where? And making sure that you communicate that accountability model and that you hold people um, accountable for their roles and responsibilities. So. I avoid the word ownership because it's a fighting word. It also sort of assumes a level of, of decision-making that you don't really want. Everything is oftentimes um, a lot of collaboration you have to do in managing data. And then the third word that I've substituted uh, is the two words. There's this role called a data steward uh, that's been around for a long time. And I find, and usually you want your data stewards to be business leaders and there is nothing more boring a term than data stewards to a business person. <laughs> Who wants to be a data steward? I mean, what even is that role mean? Would you mm-hmm. want to be a data steward and put it on your resume? No, that's not a title that, that endears people to jump on the role. And it's really not representative because it, it kind of uh, it, it implies a level of, of specificity, right? I mean, a steward versus I like to call them a data leader. No, you're going to be a data leader for this topic and you're going to have this level of accountability. Okay, now now they understand that it's a leadership role and they have to act like a leader. Sometimes they're going to have to be a leader of a virtual team, maybe a a physical team that reports to them. But the role is about being a change agent and driving um, projects and leadership. And so I, I find that that word also is better for selling. And so the bottom line of this whole conversation is that words matter in this topic, Mm -hmm. Um, especially now that it's becoming kind of more common to have these conversations, that we start talking about it in the right way to elevate the the status of this topic and put it where it needs to be. It's not a conversation of zeros and ones. It's a conversation really of management, organizational capabilities and, and change management. And yes, there's a lot of geeky underlying zeros and ones work that you have to do, but just doing that work alone isn't going to get you to the business outcomes. I can tell you just recently, I was, you know, in the last couple of years, I'm working with someone in particular in an organization and they're building a huge data lake and we're out there looking at the analytics and understanding how to, you know, manipulate the data so that the organization can make a better informed decision. And I'm in this conversation and someone says, well, who owns the data? <laughs> and and this, as soon as you said that, I started laughing. And that was exactly, and, and these are people from IT, people from the business, you know, infrastructure, architecture. I mean, you name it, everybody's on this phone call. 
And as soon as that question was asked, everybody got really quiet because no one wanted to actually own anything. Yes. And, and then someone very quietly said, can we, can we maybe talk about what the definition of ownership is? That's the right starting point. That happened to me all the time. Every time I took a new role, you get to these meetings and that's the first question everybody asks. So ooh, who owns the data, Maria? You own the data? I said, no, that's the wrong question. What we're going to be able to do is define the roles and responsibilities and then allocate those out to who needs to do what in the, in the conversation, in, 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 the, in the life cycle. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's why you see that ownership has a kind of an implied set of duties where some of them make sense, but some of them don't make sense. So it's better to steer away from that word and just right. say, you will have a set of accountable rules and responsibilities, um, but no one gets an out. I think that's the other thing too, is ownership. Sometimes ownership is used to kind of wipe your hands like, okay, you own it, have at it, right? And yeah. it gives some other organization an out. And I say, no, no. You know, If you're going to touch the data, use the data, create the data, you're going to have a role to play here. And you don't get an out. No, but, that's great. Uh, we have to define what that is. And, and it's a shade of gray, right? The, the CDO's role of defining what, um, what are the roles and responsibilities is also very fluid. So what works in one company doesn't necessarily work in another. And that's why you, you need that head of data to have the authority to be able to set those, um, that, that accountability model. Because otherwise, you're going to be arguing it all the time but someone has to put a stake in the ground to say these are the roles we're going to hold you to them and and not keep debating them so it i had this image in my head where if i could visualize you know 10 people in a room each representing each of those those business sectors and then someone says well who owns the data and suddenly nine people step back and you've got that one person who was volunteered by everybody else uh they'll do it yeah yeah, yeah. Then they do what? Well, and that's the other thing is, I mean, the, the next question it always is, well, what does that mean? What does that role mean? Right. What are the tasks? So you can't just you can't just arbitrarily use that word. And and that's the kinds of trick words. I call them trick words, mm-hmm. right? They they, they 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 trip you up. I would step into them early in my career, but after doing it a couple times and stepping into it, I realized no, no. I'm not stepping into this one again because I have an answer that's not ownership. It's accountability. And I, I found that having done that, and I let me tell you that um, for me, writing the book made a huge difference for me uh, to learn how to communicate because you had to put down on paper the points of view. And my publisher didn't really know anything around this topic of managing data. He, he, he knew a lot, a lot about marketing campaigns and publish books around that and and data and the technical side, but never this topic. So the first time he read it, he's like, he, and I read it with another co-author, another great woman in in AI and data, uh, Teresa Kushner. We spent six months writing this draft. We thought it was beautiful. And we turned it in and he said, I don't know what you all are talking about. Because you're trying to <laughs> sell the hammer, not the nail. And I didn't even know what that meant. But he says, and we ended up having to kind of re-outline it, rewrite it. And it, it really um, helped me understand that, that most people do not, do not get this topic. And we really have to make it um, as simple as possible and using things they, you know, words they know. 
rather than the data words that we, we, we've learned to live by. The name of the book is Managing Your Business Data from Chaos to Confidence. And it's, it's a business book that helps leaders understand how they need to manage their data. And she, uh, Maria, also provides six guiding principles in the book for effective data management program. And if you're interested, because I thought this was, let's recap this. If you're not the kind of person who wants to read a book and you really need to absorb that information in a visual uh, verbal format, Maria's got a YouTube masterclass series on creating an effective data strategy. The thing that's um, really cool about the masterclass is that mm -hmm. it really is 14 separate videos. Um, the videos are anywhere between two minutes to 15 minutes. And each, each of them is a different topic of data management. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes, right, you, you don't have to go from one to the end. You can kind of jump in where, where you are. But the middle ones, the middle videos, four, five, and six, are really about 15 minutes. And it's really the methodology of developing the strategy. How would you analyze a business strategy to develop the data part of that business strategy? And so we go into quite a bit more about the methodology, and that's why they're, they're longer. But others explore other topics like organization and change management and even a bit about technology. So it's a, it's a great also new medium mm -hmm. for those of you that, that have just a few minutes to spare at any one time. You know, so, you know, myself or even somebody that's just starting out or maybe they're taking on a, no, a new role or maybe there's a new chief data officer and they want to know more about what that chief data officer does. This is where I find these masterclasses are, are the perfect content. It's very well develop so that if you're at the beginning of your career or you're taking on a new role or you're already there, but you need to learn more, it, it, it's, it sounds like it covers all of that. Yeah. And the other good thing is that it's free. I mean, it, it really oh my is, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> in the public domain, right? It's on YouTube. Um, if you do want some of the templates and some mm -hmm. of the guides that I talk about, then you do have to register at the SAP site and, and, and then give them your name and contact. But the videos themselves are free for the free world. <laughs> well, you are fantastic. So yeah. you really eloquently described kind of the differences between a chief data officer and a chief analytics officer, which I don't think I've been able to understand until today. So I, I personally appreciate that. But we also have the chief technology officer. We have the chief information officer. And as we start to look to the future, there's a lot of C's coming into to this area, and sometimes they all sound like they overlap. Do you have a kind of point of view on how those roles, you know, interact with each other? Yeah, and I'm seeing the same thing. It, it's funny, 20 years ago, no one spoke about data other than the, the chief information officer, right? So mm -hmm. I call those data voices in companies. So the data voice 20 years ago is the CIO. Then, then came the CDO, the chief data officer. And, and now um, there's a proliferation of data voices, the chief analytic officer, the chief privacy, the chief, uh, uh, the chief uh, security officer, maybe the CTO, the chief architect, the chief. I mean, it's, it's everybody now has a data point of view because data is integrated into um, every aspect of every business process now. Mm -hmm. So it's now become important. And I, I really believe that the role of that chief data officer is not going to go away. And, and the more we can 
combine some of those data voices in one organization, um, the, the better off we will be because we all struggle elevating the status of this topic. We're all trying to go for money and attention from the same levels of C executives, and they have a data point of view coming from the chief data officer, and then they have another data point of view and investment from the chief privacy officer and the chief security. How do they put all of this together in their head to understand both the risk and the value of the one data asset that they have in their company? So we do ourselves a bit of a disservice. Now, this is Maria being a bit of an activist, right? And a, a, a futurist, because I, I don't see and an Uber chief data officer has all these roles, but I am seeing the, the, that all of these data voices are starting to partner together. So I am seeing chief data officers working with their chief analytic officer. Sometimes they're one in the same role, working with the chief privacy officer, especially as it relates to GDPR. And, and I encourage uh, that. And I wrote, you know, I've written several papers on it and I, I, I talk about it a lot because I think that's where our profession needs to go is let's speak with one data voice to the business. Let's have one, uh, one investment stream for all the technology investments. That doesn't mean we execute them all with one project, but there's no reason to have four metadata repositories to catalog data. I mean, think about an employee, a new employee in a company, they come in and they're giving all the, a big company mostly, they're given all of this training. Well, here's your security, data security training. Uh, and here's your, you know, training for creating new, new accounts in, in CRM. And, and, and oh, by the way, here's your compliance to a PII, you know, privacy uh, so they're given all this data training from all these different sources. It'd be so much better if you just sat, sat down and helped an employee understand, here's all the really data that matters. Here's how you create it. Here's how it's used. Here's how you guard it. Here, here's your responsibilities in one fell swoop. If we took an outside in view, we could, we should be doing more of these things together. And I really believe that the, the chief data author, some of them, some We'll call it CDO 4.0 because uh, they think they've been three versions of it before that CDO 4.0 is going to be much more about value creation, much, much more about having the right seat at the table in transformation and having kind of more than one of that data voice. The conversation is the, in, the impact of AI. And we've really focused on the fact that, that if you don't understand your data and have the strategy and, and the... Uh, the management, I'm going to not use the word, but the management of that, then, then the AI technology just isn't going to do anything. Yeah. So, so going back to, to that philosophy, is it the role of the chief data officer to collaborate with, say, the CIO or the CTO when it comes to finding those cognitive technologies or those, those AI technologies? Because in the end, what you're working on with that data, even if that data gets flows through the tool, how much of influence does a chief data officer have when they're collaborating with the other you know, C-suites yeah. to, to understand the cognitive technologies? So, so I'm going to answer the question first that okay. the chief data officer should understand working across the business, including the data scientists and the analytics and those who are driving that AI portion. And by the way, there are new chief data officer uh, 
roles in several companies that include AI and ML in their role. Okay. So okay. They, they actually, so not only do they have to work on the foundation, but they're charged with driving AI and ML into the business processes of their organization. So I, this is one of those ways that they can create value. And I've seen that in some really big organizations, but what I would do working with my analytics partners would say, okay, what's all the data that you need for your algorithms, right? But what is the data that's really material? Because you don't want the chief data officer making sure doing data quality work for data that doesn't matter. So I, I think it's also important for the data scientists working with the data, the, the data team to help them understand and prioritize the materiality of the day of the data. So they know, hey, we really want to get this data right because it's going to be used in our algorithms to make these kinds of predictions. So that base data better be right. And by right, I mean it comes from the right place. It's been vetted out. We know there's no biases. We know the data quality is good. We know the accuracy is good. So, so you need someone to be able to do all of that for the data that really matters to those AI engines. So there is some triaging that should be going on between both of those teams. And I had a great conversation one time with someone in our organization who was our lead data scientist. He says, there is data with that is more predictive than other data in an algorithm. And that's what we should be making sure is the, the keys to the kingdom. And that data is of the best quality. And that's one of the conversations that you should have with the chief data officer. Whether they're involved in the technology decision, if they don't have that remit to, to be AI and ML, I don't know what value they would bring to that conversation. I, I, I do believe the, data, the chief data officer should make sure that whatever kind of tools and technologies are used, that there's a process for vetting out where does that data come from? And how do you make sure that neither the data nor the algorithms have biases that can influence the, you know, the, the, the answer? Uh, so um, that, that's, my, that's my point of view on this. Right. Sounds like that this is also, you know, potentially you're starting to see a trend on the evolution of what that chief data officer's role could potentially be looking like in the next two years, two to three years. Absolutely. It's shifting more and more into away from defensive mm -hmm. into more value creation. And value creation kind of takes a couple of different turns, right? You can have internal value creation. You're making your internal processes more effective, right? Mm -hmm. By making sure that the data that they use is, is fit for purpose. There's also many of them are looking at how do you monetize some of this data? You know, what, what data do we have that we could put on an exchange that's really that's not proprietary, that, that has value that we can monetize. Mm -hmm. And then a, a third big push is going to be AI and ML. And I, I think more and more companies are using AI and ML and embedding them everywhere and realizing like what you're saying, Melissa, that you, you're, it's only as, as good as the foundational data underneath it. And the CDO should be brought into the conversation to make sure that they analyze that base data and say, yeah, that's fit for, for that purpose too. But that's also value creation in, in my mind. Okay. So, yeah, I think all these new technologies are going to make that role of the chief data officer uh, even more interesting, which is good for all of us. And by the way, we're all going to use AI and ML to make the job of managing data easier, too, because that's tedious work, 
But if mm-hmm. we can embed AI and ML into selecting what data is you know, most appropriate or, or doing data cleansing in an automated way, we're all going to benefit from it too. So this has been an absolutely great experience today with you. Do you have any closing thoughts? Um, I think it's a great profession to be in. Um, and I would say, um, and I've said it in other webinars as well, and my prediction is that this um, being data literate uh, is going to be something every job requires. So whether you're in that profession or not, you're still going to have to understand how to use data, how to how to ask the right questions when you see a dashboard or a report. And that as more and more decisions become automated in, in the business world, um, the importance of data to make those decisions is going to make knowing about it even more important. So it, it's a great profession to be in uh, and to know more about it. And that's why the masterclass is good as an introductory too. I think we should touch base and have a similar conversation in a year from now and look back and see how much it's it's changed. Yeah, see if any of my predict, predictions yes. help. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, well, thank you so much. This was This was absolutely fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to to sit down and talk with us and the the audience with AI Time Journal. Um, Really enjoyed it, Melissa. Thank you. You made it really easy.